0: head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now you casual american swine. yeah that's the way to start a podcast isn't it yep <laughs> why don't you want to eat organs and eyeballs actually i don't even think would, do clams and oysters have an eyeball anyway I don't, I don't know if they do i don't know it just seems
1: weird it doesn't look what? like they have an Yo, eyeball i grew up a really, really, really picky eater and I wouldn't eat n- no vegetables or n- no nothing that was weird. So some yeah, of that right. has carried on and I'm okay with a little bit of it where I'm like, that's not that important for me to make myself like now,
0: whatever. You basically grew up on McDonald's and Pop-Tarts and Totino's. Whoa, bologna sandwiches with mayonnaise. And bologna sandwiches like with mayonnaise. Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid where I put in four cups of sugar and then only kind of regret it. And quad strength concentrated Kool-Aid. That was until thick. you that went, that was a
1: thick Kool Aid. Until you went vegan, it's not supposed to be a soup.
0: Yeah, going vegan was the palate expander. Yeah, when wasn't I did it? that,
1: when I did that month long vegan challenge, I was like, I'm, I'm tired of because we watched um, that. What was it, Fat Sick and Nearly Dead? It's talking yes, about juicing, did. and then like you guys, you did some juicing after that. But my inspiration <laughs> was just, I don't eat vegetables, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat vegan for a month because if I can only eat plants. Then yeah. I need I can stop eating microwaved frozen chicken nuggets with like chili powder and
0: mayonnaise in a tortilla. This is not. Hey, that's it's legit. Like that's not that awesome of a food. If it takes an exclusionary diet to make you stop eating microwaved mayonnaise tortillas,
1: yeah, not then that not that great
0: of a food. More I'm not, power I'm not that them.
1: proud of those lunches, and I kind of <laughs> felt gross after. them. I felt amazing when I when I went vegan for that month, eating vegetables yeah. and stuff. I like felt more energetic. I was like, what is this? Are these vitamins?
0: i never I, had... I've never had I've these I've never before. eaten vitamins. I've probably been malnourished <laughs> my whole life because I didn't eat these. I've been running a constant vitamin deficiency since <laughs> I was about mm, four years old. Yeah. This is about the norm for me. I feel like Superman just right just now. Like, Whoa. It was amazing. <laughs> Anyway, uh, welcome to the P- College and Food Geek podcast. What We're going to talk about cooking today, as you probably could have told when you clicked that, on the episode's oh, that, title. Yes, the title, yes. Unless you're like one of those listeners that just does the whole Russian roulette on the podcast app and That's then just That's an hits interesting one.
1: way to do that. Yeah. What You if know when there are like so that? many episodes and you don't know what to pick? And you, I don't care. There should just, just be a random button. Me.
0: Remember when websites back in the day used to have like a random button? And Wikipedia still has one. Oh, yeah. In fact, I remember our friend Aaron... Part of his morning routine was to read this, like click the random button on Wikipedia and read a random article, which gave him an annoyingly large variety of useless (laughs) knowledge that he liked to bring up all the time. That's what it's for. That is what it's for. Yeah. You don't need one of those toilet books for useless knowledge. You just wake up and you do the random button on Wikipedia. What's the point
1: of knowing things if you can't like tell
0: it to everyone, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's no point. That's what it's for. It's just about telling people the things you randomly know from Wikipedia. Yep. Yeah, uh, we mentioned the juicing story though, so I, I feel like I owe the audience an explanation because I was not juicing on steroids. Oh, you were on steroids, but also for Mr. also Olympia. you you were a filthy, You you bounced out of that oh real my fast. Gosh, I did. Now defend yourself. All right, all right. So there's this documentary called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, and what was this like junior year of college? Something like that. That sounds about I right. I think me. I think we were doing the thing where we scroll through Netflix. And we just can't decide on what to watch. And for some reason, we decided to watch a nutrition documentary called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Now, if I remember correctly, none of us had any like weight loss or nutritional plans personally before watching it. Yeah. But we did have one friend who, number one, would never eat vegetables ever. And number two, was pretty overweight at the time. So we watched this video and it's about this guy. I think he's from Australia. He was overweight. And his his drastic plan of action was to eat no solid foods, I think for 60 days. All the dude did was he bought a juicer and he juiced up fresh fruits and vegetables and yeah. drank the juice. So not even the pulp and the fiber. It wasn't smoothies. It was literally just the juices of this stuff uh, for 60 days. And apparently there's enough calories in juice. I don't know. Well, he was putting
1: he was putting a lot of vegetables That's and true. stuff in there. Like when you're only getting the juice, you got to put in a lot of plants
0: to get a decent amount of juice. It's true. Now there are some problems with the juicing diet. No, not least of which is the fact that you are basically wasting all the fiber from all the produce you're throwing in that juicer. And uh, we decided to do it. And I th- what did we do? Did we like I think we went and gave all the fiber to the horses that were living next to our apartment complex. That seems I like at a least did that thing once. to have done. I did that once. Uh, but so our, our overweight friend was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to juice for 30 days and I'm going to lose so much weight. And then me wanting to be supportive decided to do the juicing challenge along with him. So that's what it was going to be. 30 days of no food, only juicing. What could go wrong, right? Yeah. I lasted less than 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> He 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 did it for like a week straight at least. He right? did it, it for was, twelve days. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. Just so it was impressive. It was impressive, and yep, that wasn't his only strategy. But clearly, it inspired something because he like weighs the same as me now.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we'll talk. We can talk about that. The, I so, would say the juicing challenge, inspiring for him, challenge, it did result in some weight loss, but it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't sustained. Oh, well, he couldn't.
1: It's kind of expensive to buy enough plants to make enough juice to drink that.
0: I think, yeah, I think we calculated it was, it was $20 a day in purchase uh, or produce purchase, yeah, and which like is an, just, it's and, tough. And
1: especially in college, that's like, that's a lot of money to give to you. It was stretching the, the budget.
0: Uh, it also makes you incredibly hungry. As I discovered about 22 hours into the challenge. Oh yes. And I that walked long, in. <laughs> hard hours
1: of not eating
0: for almost a day. I'm not good at fasting. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did it for 12 hours. Or 12 days and I think he lost 10 pounds from it and I don't remember if he gained it back or, or kept it off uh, I'm not remember. sure but it, it didn't result in a, a long-term sustained weight loss now and he spent a couple of years still struggling with weight and then eventually he got so fed up that he just ate eggs and rice and nothing else just like yeah. egg and rice stir fry with no vegetables no meat no nothing it was just that like every meal for I don't know how long as long as it took for him to lose 100 pounds yeah, and now he weighs one fifty, one sixty.
1: Yeah, and it, it's not like he did some crazy ultra vegetable, fancy vegan something. He just was like, "I'm gonna eat fewer calories. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna cut out like all the nonsense. Yep, just
0: eat eggs and rice, you know, and I, I than guess pizza rolls. His uh, his journey is an example of the power of learning to cook a little bit because he yeah. did at least learn how to make a decent tasting egg and rice stir fry. Yeah. And I got nothing against an egg and rice stir fry. That's a good yeah, food. It's I don't know it's that cheap. I would eat only that, but you know, throw some veggies in there. But it's good. I actually, I want to talk about stir fry on here. Cool. Uh, at some point in this episode, because I saw a really good video that we will link to in the show notes. Um, you know, I actually know what going to talk about now. Why not? Do it. Freestyle. So... Uh, just to put a little bit of intro out there for people, cause I guess podcasts should be somewhat structured sometimes. Nah. We want to talk about cooking today because both you and me, I think me much more recently than you have become very interested in cooking. Yeah. And we've been getting really into it and learning a lot of stuff. Um, and I think it's going to be a cool episode because you cook differently than I do for dietary reasons. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different perspective there, but I have been just Googling lots of stuff about cooking. I bought this book that's sitting on the desk called The Science of Cooking by Dr. Stuart Faramond and also watching a lot of YouTube videos. And I came across a Jamie Oliver video on knife skills. It was part of his like dream school series. And it's it's a really old video on YouTube, I think 2008. But the video just starts out with three or four minutes, no talking, it's just Jamie Oliver Dicing up a bunch of vegetables and mushrooms and he throws them in a pan, throws in some beef, throws in some noodles. And then I I forget the exact recipe, but it's like some soy sauce, a little bit of honey. And um, that might have been it. Maybe a little bit of olive oil or peanut oil. Peanut oil is probably the, not Mm -hmm. olive oil, peanut oil because it's a little higher heat. Yeah. Just does a little shake, throws some maybe cilantro on there uh, or parsley or something and boom, he's done. So it was like, it was, I think, four minutes Now, it would take me longer to do that because I cannot chop vegetables as fast as Jamie Oliver. Yeah. And if I could, I would probably be working in a restaurant or I'd have my own cooking show or something, but it was fast, you know? So if you have some prepped meat, some noodles you can just throw in there and you just take like, I don't know, five minutes to chop up vegetables and then another three or four to cook it, boom, there's a meal done. Yeah. That's like 15 minutes. And that stir fry, unlike our friends, is nutritionally complete. Yeah, mushrooms, you got three types of vegetables. It's real easy to get get everything to fit together. Got your protein. Yeah. And so I think stir fry is actually one of the best places to start if you're really not into cooking because it's hard to screw it up. Yeah. You're not making a souffle. You're not ruining a steak by doing it wrong. You're just throwing some vegetables and meat and noodles into a pan. Yeah. And that's actually a really important point. If you're going to start cooking, you
1: got to start easy. Mm -hmm. You got to start easy and you got to start tasty because if your first meal is like, I'm going to eat nothing but but kale. <laughs> yeah. And you hate kale? You're not going to cook for long. You're going to be really mad. Like even if you start off with slightly less healthy, but slightly better than what you have and mm-hmm. easy, you can eventually get to more healthy fancy stuff later. True. Cooking is the so, habit to build.
0: I will say uh kale plays an integral role in my first attempt to learn how to cook. Okay, okay. And we will get to that, but I want you were first because you learned to cook in 2011. Yeah. Back when you went vegan. Yeah, it was So uh, what did you do to start learning? Um, very first thing that I
1: made, it was like a, the first staple that I developed was just uh, sautéed spinach with garlic and in, in olive oil, mm. you know, real simple, but I liked it and I was proud that I was eating something that was green Yeah, and uh, that was a big deal to me. So honestly, I don't even remember a lot of the other foods I was eating at the time. Eggs and and rice were a thing that I added later because I went vegetarian for about two years after that challenge. How
0: long were you vegan?
1: Uh, I was vegan for that first month, just for the month challenge. But then I was like, but I want to eat eggs again. Yeah. And that's a good
0: nutrition source for me. If I remember correctly, I think you were finding that on a college budget, it was difficult to get enough calories and like vitamin B12 potentially. I
1: also don't want to eat a lot of fake meats. Mm, so, yeah. and like my, my, my grandparents are farmers and I get eggs from them and I know how they treat the chickens and I know how this stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm fine with that. And I'm okay with a sort of moral compromise position because it seems reasonable to me. Yeah. I, I like it that way. But so I was vegan for the month, vegetarian for like two years. Within that two years, there were a few more months where I was vegan, but I didn't like what it did to me perfect personally. And mm-hmm. it's nothing against veganism. If you're vegan and you're fine with it, that's cool. But it was more like, Seeking something that seems sort of pure or perfect is really dangerous for me. It starts to – one, I started to feel myself judging my friend's food choices. Like I didn't say anything, but I could feel it like, oh, you're just eating that that burger over there. And then I didn't like that effect. But also anything that seeks purity or perfection is just like dangerous because then I wasn't willing to make compromise in a situation where it would have maybe been overall better.
0: I think that applies to not just cooking and eating. Yeah, that's just like like life. Trying to adhere perfectly to principles in some cases is a good thing, but in many cases it is overly restrictive and it sort of disregards the the chaotic nature of life. Yeah. And it sort of disregards some of the limitations we have. Yeah. And and mostly
1: I didn't like what it was doing to like my attitude Mm -hmm. and I didn't like... I want to be able to occasionally go out to restaurants with my friends. The social aspect of human life is important to me. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, you know, in Iowa, in college, low budget. I got to eat at campus. So yeah. it was all a very difficult thing. And actually now I hear that Iowa State has a lot more options for that, like tofu and stuff every day. So maybe it it's better. nicer now, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that easy then. So I found it much easier to be like, I like vegetarianism as a compromise. And now yeah. I eat fish as well, basically pescatarian as, as once again, it's just a compromise between eating real natural food and like reducing uh, cognitive yeah. dissonance with the fact that I don't want to kill most things. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's not, a, not judgment thing. I don't care what other people do. I don't think meat's wrong, but it inspired me so much to cook. Mm-hmm. And all of my cooking came from that because like I said, it was microwave, frozen chicken, mayonnaise, chili powder, and tortillas. <laughs> and that's disgusting now. Uh, I, I don't like it, but- Basically, when you take any sort of diet challenge, because I've also tried paleo for a little bit, just to kind of experiment. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't care about the morals or the nutritional theories behind these, maybe it'd be worth it to take like a week challenge for any of them or all of them. Because I learned so many ingredients exist.
0: Yeah. Because it's it's limitation that breeds creativity and it gives you a direction. Well,
1: and I learned about all these foreign foods and like what growing up, growing up in Iowa in America is like, what, there are like 10 fruits. (laughs) <laughs> and that's it right that's <laughs> apples bananas i think a pineapple every once they might, in a while like oranges those are real and yep. then then you start researching and going into like okay what do vegans eat and you're like that's a what is that i never heard of that before mm-hmm. and then like okay what about now even if you're just doing like i'm gonna eat japanese food or indian food or some other food there are so many ingredients we just don't use yeah and it was incredible and that made cooking exciting I think that's the big thing. You got to make it exciting somehow. If it's not exciting, it seems like a chore because you're taking time you weren't using before.
0: Yep. And the thing that kept me away from it for so long, uh, two things actually. First and foremost, I do not like having to sit in the kitchen and just wait. Yeah. So any kind of recipe where there's a bunch of downtime, it bores me. And I fixed that recently just by choosing either a recipe that in- involves a lot of effort the whole time. Or a recipe that's very set it and forget it, like a Crock-Pot recipe. That's easy. You know, chili can sit in the Crock-Pot for six hours and I can go do something else. Or I will just add extra dishes. So salmon's in the oven for 20 minutes. Okay, well, I'll spend that 20 minutes making some sauteed vegetables, some spaghetti sometimes, or garlic bread or something like that. I like to be in the kitchen working the whole time. But the other thing is... um, I forgot what the other thing was.
1: Oh, good. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. I'll give you some time. Because another thing... Other than the excitement for ingredients, was and maybe this seems little, but our food culture, especially here in America, is very, whoa, whoa, don't do that yourself. You don't have time to cut onions, yeah. silly. Come buy them. Mm-hmm. Come buy them for me. I got all the food ready. You're just, you don't have time for that, right? That's too much work. Don't do it. Yep. But then when I saw, I was like, oh, I just learned how to cut an onion. Oh, I just learned how to cut garlic. I just learned how to use that's like a bulb, right? Do you eat the whole thing? I don't know. And then like, I'm going to learn how to use these ingredients, getting rid of all the learned helplessness of mm-hmm. like, I could never cook something good or I, I don't have time or I can't cook things. And I was like, I could feed myself buying these incredibly cheap things yeah, and make it taste good. And I did the cutting. I did the work. Yep. And, and it makes it so much cheaper. That's also confidence building. And it's just so good to be able to do that, to be able to feed yourself. It's one of the most basic, like human things, you know, you got to eat. Yep. And I don't think I want companies doing all the cooking for me because obviously their motives are driven by profit and not by Mm -hmm. my well-being or happiness.
0: It's kind of weird. It's been like, what, 50 years, maybe, maybe 60, where you could sort of forget about cooking. You could forget about food prep because it's just been so, it's made, it's been made so easy. Yeah, but before that, like literally, all the time before that, yeah, somebody was cooking. You, yeah, someone in your family is cooking, and you're probably out, you know, gardening or, or harvesting something. Like, life was so centered around food, and now it's not. Yeah, but you feel it's so it's such a connection
1: to like mm-hmm. natural life. When I when I buy this, the raw ingredients and cook them and prep them all myself. I just, I feel more connected to the food. I care more about the food and about the fact
0: that I am a part of nature. So I remembered what I forgot. Cool. The other thing that always put me off of cooking was growing up as a very nerdy computer interested kind of person, I always had this sense that if I'm gonna code something, I'm gonna make a mistake, but I can fix it. It's like this constant process of fixing bugs and then it's done. With cooking, I always had this anxiety that I'm going to go spend all this time and money. I'm going to buy ingredients. I'm going to spend all this time in the kitchen. And what if I screw it up? I've just wasted all those ingredients. I've wasted all the time. And now I don't have dinner. Now I have to order pizza or something. And it brought me anxiety. But getting into cooking recently, I've learned how to mitigate against that. And the main thing is in the past when I've tried to cook, it's very much been this, all right, I need to cook dinner as fast as possible, so that way I can go do something else. Go play video games or go watch a movie. I want to have time to play some video games tonight. Whereas now, I don't go slow in the kitchen. I work efficiently because I enjoy that process. But my mindset is different. When I go into the kitchen now, it's I'm making food. And however long it takes, again, the essentialism thing. I'm going to be present. This is what's essential right now. And yeah. when it's done, it's done. We can sit down. We can slowly enjoy the food that we made. And then if there's time left over, sure, I'll play a video game or something. Uh, this episode's just going to make me really hungry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Especially when
0: we start talking about the food we're making. I uh, got to power through that. <laughs> oh, we're recording this at like lunchtime, aren't we? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Did you even eat breakfast? I had a smoothie. That's <laughs> it's all I've had. Fair enough. I it's, had two pieces of I, toast. This is going to
1: get me motivated to cook my lunch.
0: Well, from, yeah, we got back from the, from driving home uh, from all the Christmas stuff I last so night. I so
1: sick of candy, cookies, and protein bars. I yep. hate travel food. I hate it.
0: Well, we also got home last night, and all the food I need to cook. was rotten or bad, or yeah, there was I just did. nothing left in the fridge. So I had, Ugh. luckily, two pieces of breast, uh, bread left. I felt so disgusting. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Christmas candy and cookies and stuff, is it's good in the moment. But then you come home and you realize, I just spent four days eating... What you could condense down into just a giant ball of sugar. Yeah, I'm gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I've been I've been thinking much more in terms of being in the moment, do it for however long it takes, and enjoy it. Um, and I also have a little Bluetooth speaker, so I'll put that up on the fridge oh, and yeah. play music, and That's that just cool. makes it a lot more music, enjoyable. For or you me. could
1: put a podcast on if yeah. you
0: wanted. I've been listening to uh, The Martian. Which is a fantastic book. Is that I put the, it off is that the someone, one, the,
1: like the movie? Yeah, the one they made like that Mad Damon Matt movie Damon? based off of. Okay.
0: And I still want to watch the movie, but I'm not going to watch it until I finish the book for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, I have been told that the movie glosses over a lot of the problem solving. And As what I love do. a lot about this book is he goes into detail about all the engineering and all the problem solving he's doing. And it's really cool. Oh, that's cool. He talks about how he, like he's transferring. Hydrazine into hydrogen and oxygen to create more water. It's all this really cool stuff. So for people who think kind of in like an engineering mode, there they would love that book. That's cool. And I think a bit like that. But yeah, I'll just put that in. I'll cook and I'll just I'll just get into it and do it. Um, but I want to talk about like some of the basics, how to learn, how to start that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the way that I started learning, um the first attempt was Anna and I subscribed to Blue Apron which for those who don't know, is one of those like subscription services where they send you a box of ingredients for a meal that they basically picked out. Yeah, you get the recipe too. Yeah, so they give you the recipe and then they give you like a pre-packaged and already like quantified number of ingredients. So you have exactly as much chives as you need, exactly as much meat as you need. And you can do it for like two people or you can do it for four people. So we did it, I think it was two meals a week for two people. And it was never my intention to do it forever. But again, it was that whole idea of focusing in on one method because with cooking, there's so many ingredients and so many recipes. Like if you pick up a book, there's like all these pages, you don't know what to do. It's so easy to get overwhelmed. And back then I didn't have the burning interest that I have now. I just wanted to cook a little more because I was tired of eating out and ordering food and spending tons of money like buying salad bar at the grocery store. So we just did that for a while and that actually gave us some ideas. So and there was a few recipes and I mentioned kale earlier. So yeah. for whatever, I think it was because of the season when we when we started the subscription, every meal had kale. Oh yeah. It must have just been in season. I mean, it's a good vegetable and I honestly like I don't like kale raw. It's bitter. I don't it's like most not vegetables that good. raw, honestly. So when we got the boxes and they gave us all these kale recipes, I was like, oh, I don't like kale. But what I learned is that you can cook kale or you can even not even cook. You can massage kale into a marinade and make it taste really good. So doing Blue Apron just sort of taught me that there are things you can do with ingredients that you don't think you like, yeah. like radishes. Or I always tofu. hated radishes or tofu. That's a big one. I've had some tofu that's really good. And in the past, I always thought that I hated it. Everyone
1: thinks they hate it because if you don't cook it right, it is just some gross, weird, yeah. bland, mushy nonsense.
0: It really is. But yeah, yep. you can make it real good. Mm-hmm. My friend Sean went vegan a while back and uh, unfortunately our Whole Foods doesn't have this, but he has some, some grocery store by him in San Diego that has like this really hard, not very watery, uh, chicken teriyaki flavored tofu. Oh yeah? It's so good. Oh man, he gave me some, and I was like, I would eat this every day if that's actually.
1: I don't know if you tried it, but there was that while back I made some breaded and like chicken flavor stuff, marinated. It it ended up Anna was saying it tasted like if you took a bite of chicken soup, but it was a tofu block with breading. I don't think I tried it. It was so. It was real good. Like you you, you should show me how to make that. Basically, any ingredient you think you hate can be probably made in a way you wouldn't hate it. It's just that we're losing the art of cooking because we think that, "Oh, I just took this piece of fish and I microwaved it for 30 seconds and it it didn't come out like a five-star meal." Yep. It's of course it didn't. You didn't mm. do anything to it. Like you get, you can make almost anything taste good.
0: Yeah. Probably not everything. Don't test me on some nonsense ingredient I don't want to eat. Well, it depends on who you are, too. Yeah. I mean, there's probably ingredients that I'm just never going to like but then somebody else would like them. Yeah. I just finished listening to Anthony Bourdain's book, and when he was a kid, uh, his parents left him in the car when they went to a restaurant because him and his brother were being brats, and that kind of inspired him out of spite to eat everything to be more of an adventurous eater than them. So he started (laughs) eating oysters and all sorts of weird stuff, and they were in France at the time, so he just really expanded his palate. So he's the kind of guy who will eat basically anything. Hmm. I don't know if I'm that adventurous, but... I have my limits to the adventurousness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had an oyster my first for my first time this year and I didn't like it. Uh, but it could have been that I had it in the wrong context because it was fried. And some hmm. people have told me, you got to have oysters raw. Hmm. That's the only way to have them. So I don't know. I don't know. I didn't like it. So I'm like a little hesitant to try them again. Well, you don't have to like every ingredient either because like there are so many, you're going to be just fine. That's true. Yeah, exactly. So I did the Blue Apron thing. I think we did it for three months. That was pretty useful. I kept some of the recipes from it. Cool. But eventually I got tired of having to deal with so much packaging. Because, I mean, that's the real trade-off is you're getting – you're being mailed a cardboard box with this giant, like – Bag of chemical ice stuff to keep everything cold. Was it weekly that you got the package? It was weekly, yeah. Okay. And then everything is in a plastic bag. So you're just, there's all this waste and trash that you generate. And I just got to thinking like, I can go to the grocery store and if I know what to buy, I can buy everything sustainably. I can plan my week out so I'm using my ingredients and not throwing half the ingredients away and I'm not generating all this trash. But Blue Apron was a very good Initial experience for learning how to cook and getting myself out of those bad eating habits. Yeah. So I'd recommend it at least for like a a trial period. Uh, Now what I've been doing is, number one, I got this book called The Science of Cooking. And I don't remember why I got it. I think you and I were at Barnes & Noble looking for something else. And I just saw it on the shelf and I was like, that looks really cool. Um, I have found this to be better than a recipe book.
1: Yeah, it's, that's actually a very interesting. I have it on hold Do at, you? The, at the library just because I want to flip through it sometime later with my other cookbooks.
0: Oh, there you go. You can borrow this one if you want at some point. Um, but what I found is this is more interesting to me than a recipe book because recipe books are overwhelming. They just have too much in them. And I'm, I'm like looking through all the recipes and I'm like, oh, I can make that tonight or I can make that tonight. And then more often than not, I'm just like, I don't even know.
1: Well, and sometimes they've got like, oh, this recipe requires five new spices you don't have that you're not going to use for
0: anything else.
1: Yep. And that, yeah, exactly. seems, that seems dumb until you know how to like balance everything and make
0: use of the ingredients. Actually, I think there's a website out there where you can put in the ingredients you have and it will generate recipe ideas for you. I think that is a thing that I forgot about. I don't remember the name of it. So we'll have to have our show notes guy go I look for it. I should find that again because I that, that would be helpful right now. Mm-hmm. And then I think it also suggests like, okay, you, you're missing two ingredients for this recipe. Well, that's easy. I'll just go out and get two So it's like,
1: here's how to use what's already in your fridge before yeah. it goes bad.
0: Yeah. Whereas, you know, the way Anna and I have done it is, hey, we want to make Chinese wontons and then we find a recipe and we realize there's 20 spices here that we don't own. And then we're at the normal American grocery store, just like looking everywhere for them and yeah. they're horribly overpriced and it's just super stressful. So what I've been doing is first, I read through a lot of this book and this just taught me a bunch of technique stuff that I had never known before. Like a good example is it taught me about cooking fish um, in parchment paper. And I think the French mm. term is like en papuette or something like that. I'm very bad at French. Very, very bad at French. Uh, we tried that and it makes salmon so good. Yeah. Yep. And before that, we would always just pop it in the oven on a cookie sheet, just totally naked. Mm-hmm. And it would turn out a little bit dry. So that one little tweak just building a little parchment paper envelope around your salmon, it made it so much better. And there's just a ton in this book that just teaches you like how to cook food and why things happen, why this temperature is better for this kind of food and a lower temperature is better for this kind of food. Um, What the different pots and pans and are for and that kind of stuff. Because a lot of times you look at a recipe and it'll say like, braise this, blanch that. And you're like, I don't know what that means. Well, of course it's overwhelming at that point. <laughs> I don't un- understand the language you're using. Yeah, exactly.
1: So Mostly French.
0: Just going through here and getting a little bit of initial knowledge on how to prep some things and why some things work the way they do has given me a lot more confidence. And with all the recipes I've been making, I haven't really screwed anything up recently. No, Maybe well, it means I'm not challenging myself enough. But we've made some pretty good stuff recently and haven't burned anything, haven't had anything come out raw. Like it's all been pretty decent. I think once you get the confidence and you kind of understand, like, like it's great that
1: that book does that because if you don't know how any of it works, even if you look up the things, you're mostly at the mercy of these recipe writers and yep. you're like, I'm not the cook. They're the cook. And I have no idea what's going on. But somehow that turned into a cake. Yeah, like, exactly. I don't know. Yep. And, but it's useful to do that. And- uh, what was it? I made a clafoutis au fraise, which is strawberry like French I don't, thing. It there was, was good. It was a bready,
0: spongy sort of thing it was, that
1: was I, tasty. I liked it a lot, and I was really happy with it, and I replaced some ingredients, but it seems like just even from the name, you'd be like, oh, I don't know how to make some fancy French dessert. That seems crazy. Here's what I did. I followed the instructions, and <laughs> then because we're at altitude- I ignored their timer. I set the timer and then mm. I like kept coming back and checking. Yep. Because that that is one thing that will probably kill your confidence is if you believe that you just need to hit the timer and leave because
0: yeah, a lot work.
1: of times it doesn't work like that. So if you just pay attention and then you won't burn everything and make yourself think you're a terrible cook. But yeah. it just, I made some fancy French dessert because I looked up a recipe, swapped out stuff and then made it. It wasn't, it wasn't like I'd. D- prayed to some French gods. I don't understand. It just worked. Well, you do have to pray to the French gods though. Oh, well, I didn't. So maybe
0: it'll be better next time. It will be better next time. If you pray to the French gods, I don't know who they are. We'll have to Google that. Yeah. I've actually had no idea. Or something like that. Maybe you have to pray to like the old French chef masters. I don't know them either. <laughs> I actually can't think of any French yeah, chef I got, masters. I got nothing. But I, like, I think of like Gordon Ramsey, but he's British.
1: <laughs> I, I have no idea. But the point is, this is all a lot more accessible mm-hmm. than it seems because companies especially want you to think that this is all the fanciest, craziest, impossible stuff, because then obviously you buy their frozen TV dinners and you buy their desserts and you buy their stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like anyone can learn to do this.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not that complicated. It's just like anything else, a skill that you gotta yeah. learn. Right? Oh,
1: oh, another, another thing is don't Don't think that the reason you can't cook is because you're missing some really expensive unitasking cooking tool because the tools don't make you cook. You can start a cooking habit Mm -hmm. without buying that like $3 billion KitchenAid mixer because you don't need a KitchenAid mixer to make the things you would make with it. Nope. No, you don't. Because people lived before them. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'd be useful someday, but start cooking first. Please don't go to Target, buy a bunch of stuff and then be like, I'm really broke and I still only microwave food. You need yeah. to build the build cooking habit.
0: This week's episode is sponsored by Audible. I am a huge fan of Audible, so it's really awesome to have them back as a sponsor on the show. Audible is the best resource on the internet that you can go to for finding audio books, for finding spoken audio content, original radio broadcasts, all sorts of stuff that is... Amazing to listen to while you're cooking as we I I think already mentioned in this episode yep. while you're driving 10 hours home for Christmas or in my case 15 hours on black ice the entire time yay yep <laughs> or working out or going for a walk or basically anytime you're doing something boring and mindless where you have a little bit of attentional reserves free audible is a great way to fill those attentional reserves they've got stuff in all sorts of different genres, both fictional like science fiction and horror and fantasy and all kinds of historical fiction and nonfiction. Most books these days that are popular actually have an audiobook edition, and I find that audiobooks are just as good of a way to intake books for the most part as uh, reading them is. And I do want to give out one recommendation for this week. I honestly listen to a lot of stuff on Audible, so I can recommend a bunch of stuff. But my number one recommendation right now is The Martian uh, by Andy Weir. I got to say the Audible edition, like the audiobook edition, is so good. Yeah? Yeah. The narrator is amazing. And he's like weirdly really good at doing the female voices and the male voices in a way that isn't awkward. Maybe it was his dream. And uh, I I heard somebody uh, talking about The Martian, one of my friends, who was basically just like, this narrator is Mark Watney, who's the main character of the book. And uh, I would have to agree to that, or agree with that. I don't know. It's just an amazing book. And if you have any sort of like inclination towards engineering or you're detail-oriented at all, I think you're really gonna love this book because he walks through all of his mental processes for how he's going to survive, how he's going to make water, how he's going to make food. And I just found that ridiculously fascinating. And then the whole, the whole idea of just being that far away from your home planet. It just, I don't know. It just like, it it creates this feeling of being so small in the universe. And, And I'm really enjoying the book a lot. It's, it's probably going to be one of my favorite fiction books of all time after I yeah, finish it. Sounds pretty cool. As long as it's not horrible when it ends, but I don't think it will be because <laughs> so far it's been fantastically good. So if you want to uh, get a free trial uh, for 30 days and a free audiobook download, whether it is The Martian or any other book that you want, you can go over to audible.com slash CIG, or if you're listening to this on your phone, you can text CIG to 500-500 to get started. And again, you get a 30-day free trial along with one free audiobook credit. And the cool thing is, even if you decide to cancel after that 30 days, you do get to keep that audiobook forever. So whether it's The Martian or something else that you've been really wanting to listen to, you really can't ask for anything more than that. So once again, audible.com slash CIG or text 500-500, that show URL CIG, to get started. Big thanks to Audible for sponsoring this show and let's get back into it. Um, on the note of the KitchenAid, so I'm guessing a KitchenAid is like to mix dough and stuff, right? Yeah. I was watching a channel called Alex French Guy Cooking, which okay. I highly recommend to anybody who wants to learn more about cooking. He's really entertaining and he wanted to make his own ramen noodles. So he makes the dough and he gets it to the point where it's ready for kneading, but it was, for whatever reason, for the ingredients he used, it was so hard that he couldn't do it with his hands. Oh yeah. So he just put it in a plastic bag and then stepped on a bunch. <laughs> there you go. Hey, that's way cheaper. Yeah. You don't gotta buy a KitchenAid for that.
1: Yeah. I mean they're they're cool. You could get a fancy tool if you want. Just it's not the answer to you cooking.
0: hmm Speaking of tools, let, let's get into that now. Because a lot of people want to know like what do I actually need? Yeah, what tools should you to to buy cook before well? cooking? Yeah. All right. So uh we can talk about our favorite tools as well. I don't know if I have I've got some favorite tools that maybe are a little bit beyond the basics, but when it comes to the basics. Um, number one, you need a chef's knife, and that's basically it for the most part, yeah, so when you, you could feasibly use the chef knife for like all yeah. knifing purposes, yep, um, so I mean when you go to the store, you often see like these giant knife sets that have a chef's knife and they have a butcher's meat cleaver in them, and they have a medium sized knife and a paring knife and a boning knife and a fillet knife, and all these weird crazy knives. The thing is, you're never going to use any of them. Yeah. What you're going to use 99% of the time is your chef's knife. Um, And maybe you will use a small paring knife sometimes. I got to say, so whenever I look up like chefs and what they recommend for knives, they will often say a chef's knife, a serrated bread knife, and a paring knife. But I almost never use the paring knife myself. Yeah. So maybe there's a recipe out there that I will start using it for. Um, and when I, like I watched that cook documentary, um, you know, the, the girl that was doing the pot cooking in the second episode where she was yeah cutting up potatoes and stuff. Yeah. I saw her like cutting the potatoes with a paring knife towards her thumb, which was a little bit worrying to me. Maybe she's, she's probably just a pro expert. I wouldn't but risk it. I got to tell you when I cube potatoes for mashed potatoes or a soup, I use the chef's knife every single time. So if you want my recommendation for knives, a chef's knife that you keep sharp and a serrated bread knife because it's it's pretty hard to cut bread with a chef's knife. Yeah, pretty difficult. Uh, and then a paring knife if you want it, but it's again, it's not the most important thing. Um I would also get a knife steel which and I wasn't able to get you one for Christmas. I was I wanted to get you is one. Is that the alternative to the sharpening thing? I don't know, I don't know what, what that it's is. It's not really an alternative. It's um it's kind of like an and instead of an or thing. Okay. So first and foremost like the the main principle with knives is keep your knife sharp every time you use your knife you are somewhat dulling the edge um and the edge gets dull in a couple of ways it can actually dull but it can also on a microscopic level be folded over Mm. so basically like your metal is coming to a point and if you like think about the edge of your knife in detail it should come to a point that's pointing down but eventually that point is so thin that if you were to put some pressure on one side of the knife blade, it would fold that edge over ever so slightly. So that knife steel, which is that stick, basically, what that Mm. does is that hones the edge back into alignment. Okay. So that's something that I personally use every other time that I use a chef's knife. And then the sharpener is the thing I got you, which is that little V thing um, and like Crazy people not crazy people like super into cooking people will tell you the best way to sharpen a knife is like on a whetstone I haven't even gotten that far yet. I just have one of them little grinder things. Yeah, but it's basically just a v at the right angles and you put the knife in there and you just pull the knife through And it will grind a little bit of the metal off to sharpen your knife And you want to do that a little less often because obviously you're grinding part of your knife away. Yeah, but it does keep it sharp So for me, it's like hone the knife with the steel every other time-ish. And then, I don't know, every couple of months, maybe I will sharpen. Yeah. And And that's totally
1: preference. If it seems counterintuitive that you want the knife to be really sharp, For safety, uh, it it is counterintuitive, but if it's dull, you're going to put a lot of effort into stuff. And then if it's sharp, you're just going to go right through that bread. But if it's not sharp, you're going to keep trying and then you're going to cut
0: your thumb off. Well, that's the reason I recommend the serrated knife for bread Yeah, because I've used the chef's knife for bread and you're like pressing on that. And the more force you apply to something, the less finesse you have. And the more likely you are to... Yeah, so don't know. don't be scared of super sharp things. They they yeah. are way better for not cutting yourself in the exactly. kitchen. Exactly. Sh- a properly sharp knife, if you were to hold up a piece of paper, you could just let the knife glide through the paper and cut it. Yeah. Most knives are not sharp, so it won't work. But there's some pretty cool videos on uh, Wrangler Star, which our friend Ryan used to watch for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. There's a one video where he uh, he has this crazy knife sharpening kit thing, and he sharpens a butter knife... To the point where I can just cut through paper super easily. Can it cut through butter still? Yes. Cool. I can confirm that it will also cut through butter. Um, <laughs> I don't think a knife can good. get too sharp for butter. <laughs> so that's your knives. Uh, a cutting board is useful. Yeah, that's, you could, that's pretty much. I guess much... you could cut on a counter or a plate. For a long time, I cut on you're plates because like, I
1: didn't care. But You're going to like potentially damage them. Yeah. And cutting boards are not going to be that expensive and they last no. for a while. Yeah, that's they a, do. It's a good thing to have.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all kinds of cutting boards. There's plastic ones. There's wooden ones. I like a wooden one because it's classic and it looks good. But a plastic one is cheaper and is a good starting point. Yeah. Um, let's talk about pans. I like pans, and pots. So you got three different types of material for your pans and pots that are your basics at least: you're stainless steel, nonstick, and cast iron. So your nonstick non are what i stupidly cooked everything with for a really long time um and i always wondered why are my non-stick pans getting ruined all the time like i have to buy a new non-stick pan every couple of months because they're warping or the finish is coming off non-stick pans as i have learned are for low heat cooking
1: yeah the, <laughs> the non-stick material doesn't First of all, it doesn't conduct heat all that well, so it's not going to get super no. high. But also, you're going to like burn all this. It's going to fall apart, just mm-hmm. like you have had it happen over and over. Yeah. It's a great place to start if you're just sautéing and making very simple stuff, though. Like If that's the only pan you can get, you can still make eggs on it. Yeah, and, it's and gonna they're be, cheap. It's going to be just fine. But just then again,
0: I'm not going to say it's the best place to start, though, because... Well, again, I mean, if I'm, you I'm already have it, don't things. feel bad. Yeah, if you already have it, don't feel bad. You can do a lot in it. Just you can still cook. Don't do a super high heat stir fry in there. You know, and like you're not going to get a good sear on a steak in a nonstick pan. There's yeah, a, just a not lot of students,
1: happen. especially like that's the obvious thing they have in target aimed toward people. But like it's that pan will still work for you to start cooking with. Don't, well, for don't me. So
0: what I learned is you can actually get the other kinds of pans at the same price. But when I was in college and I didn't know anything, I thought, oh, nonstick means it'll be easier to clean. So I'll just make everything in nonstick. But what I've learned now is that, yeah, technically a nonstick will be easier to clean, but with your cast iron, with your stainless steel especially, it can be pretty easy to clean if you do it right. Like I made steak in the non-stick, or in the steel, a stainless steel pan, and when the steak comes off, you've got a bunch of steak bits that are basically just like stuck to the bottom of the pan. Yeah. And if you were to take that and go try to wash it right away, that would be really tough to get off. But you don't want to do that because those little steak bits actually make a really good sauce if you put some deglazing stuff in there, like red wine vinegar and some beef Uh broth. So you're you're using it up. You're using, I think it's called the fond or the foundation. You're using that to create a sauce. It's going to make your steak taste better in the first place. And it also deglazes the bottom Mm. of your pan. Now it's easy to wash. That's real fancy. it's just something to learn. That's like how I
1: used to use like, After cooking like bacon or something, I would always throw eggs in to use up the rest of the stuff in the
0: pan. Use that grease. I was never worried about fat, but whatever. I'm still not worried about fat. (laughs) Whatever, man. (laughs) It's delicious. And from that book I read, um, Good Calories, Bad Calories, I I just need to worry about the sugar and the simple carbs. I think that's the easiest place
1: to start is that we all eat too much sugar.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously you don't want to be like eating giant spoons of butter and drinking bacon grease, but- no. I don't think eating bacon a couple of times a week is going to be that well, big of a deal.
1: You know what? A good way to handle this about cooking in general and and life, as we mentioned in a previous episode, uh maybe the essentialism one. I'm not entirely sure. But you want to you want to help out your Russell first, your slowest hiker. So your biggest problem, sure, you've got a bunch of problems, right? A lot of little things you'd like to fix that could help, but the one that would help the very most should be the only one you focus on at first. Yep. And then after that's fixed, then you focus on the next one. So right now, if you're like, I'm eating cookies a thousand times a day and I microwave all my food, then like first stop eating cookies and then second, (laughs) learn how to cook food. And then third, learn how to do this next thing and throw vegetables in it. And then just like, don't freak yourself out because if you try to, I'm going to suddenly make nothing but five star French and Japanese food for the next
0: seven months. I am not going to do that. That's not happening. It's not happening.
1: It's it's just start,
0: start easy. Yep. Start real easy. Okay. So your nonstick pan, and we'll assume that in this case, you can afford a couple of pans. Uh, Your nonstick pan is for things like eggs, for things like pancakes, Uh, you know, low heat stuff that you want to be able to easily flip. Yeah. Low low to like in the middle of low, medium, like just don't, Mm doesn't go high. It's going to be fine. Stainless steel is going to be your most versatile type of pan. Uh, And I say that because cast iron is also very versatile, but the problem with cast iron, as you discovered, is to use it properly, you have to season it, which means you got to put some oil on it and you got to throw it in the oven to kind of bake that oil into a layer. And then you got to do that a few times to properly get that surface ready for cooking. And that can be kind of a pain. And you're more likely to get smoke. In that, yeah. In and when, when setting it up more. properly
1: and I'm in an apartment and I'm like, I don't want to make everybody evacuate because I'm trying. Yeah. To. I don't think it's also harder to clean.
0: I don't think most people listening to this podcast live in their own homes with a gas range stove and a perfectly working vent. And, you know, all that's, I think most of them are living in cheap apartments or dorms. They've got a coil or glass top stove and Ooh, while yeah, cast you, iron, you, might, you works, might break the
1: glass top stove with your cast iron. You yeah. drop it. and You, you
0: crack can it. use a cast iron on, on glass top stove. But you got to be careful. You, yeah, you can. It's just really heavy. And it's, it's real uh, heavy. Well, it's iron. Yep. It's iron. So I would say go for stainless steel and a nonstick. If I were on a budget and I was building a kitchenware set from scratch, I would get one stainless steel pan and one nonstick pan. And that's what I cook with now. And then I would get a couple of stainless steel pots. Yeah. Um, or maybe like what I have now, what I cook with on a, on a weekly basis is I have one four quart all clad stainless steel pan. And then I've got one uh, nonstick pan from Target. That's like a 12 inch diameter. I also have a, I believe a nonstick half gallon cooking pot that I'll do for soups. And then we've got a set of stainless steel pots that are not thick bottomed. So they're not like super high quality, but they work. And I use that for doing scrambled eggs sometimes actually. And okay. uh, for like cooking spaghetti, yeah, stuff like that.
1: Any kind of boiling um, pasta. Now, now with stainless steel, you're going to have several options depending on how fancy you want to get. Yes. The basic stainless steel with nothing else, it will work, but it doesn't conduct heat. All that great, so it'll take longer to warm it up and stuff like that. So you can often find stainless steel that's got either a core, like a little circle at the bottom of the pan, Mm -hmm. and that could be made of aluminum. That is the cheaper version, but also conducts heat a lot better. Or um copper. That's more expensive and fancy. But you can also my stainless steel pan is a layer of stainless steel whole way around, a layer of aluminum, and then a layer of stainless steel. So the entirety of it gets the heat conductivity of the aluminum, Mm -hmm. but the qualities of the stainless steel. So if you see differences in there, that, that is why. So.
0: Yeah. And as for stainless steel, the way Anthony Bourdain puts it, it should be thick bottomed. And if you were to, the way he puts it is if you were to pick up that stainless steel pan and crack it over someone's head, if there's any doubt in your mind as to which of the two will break first, throw that pan in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he said. Uh, don't try it out though. <laughs> Probably don't try that out. But uh, thick bottom is good. And what you will learn, if if like me, you've cooked on nonstick your whole life or on really thin bottomed crappy pans, is a thick bottom stainless steel pan takes a little bit longer to heat up. But once it does, it does not lose the heat like a nonstick pan does. So you can't just crank up the high heat and just let it sit there because it's going to get real hot Yeah. and then it will burn your food immediately. So it takes a bit of getting used to. Um, And this book actually taught me how to tell when your stainless steel pan is ready. Yeah. You just take a little droplet of water and you put it on there. And when it's hot enough, it's that little droplet of water is going to form a ball on the surface of the pan that kind of skates around. And I forget the name of it. There's some scientific name for why that happens. But before that, it'll sizzle and steam up a little bit. And then there's going to become a point where... You'll drop the water and it'll scatter into a bunch of little balls, and then a little bit after that, it'll kind of coalesce into one, mm. and that's like the perfect temperature. Okay. So you can just kind of test while you're cooking. Um, and this is like a fundamental thing I've learned: test for temperature, taste your food as you're cooking it, because otherwise, how do you know what it tastes like? Yeah. And um, maybe don't watch it trust, with certain raw meats. Don't yeah, don't taste. I wouldn't. The raw I meat. wouldn't
1: be like, is this chicken okay. still
0: half raw? I'm not tasting Yes it is now I'm dead. I'm not tasting my steak as I'm cooking it. And yeah. I'm also not poking it and prodding it either. There's a way to tell when your steak is done. Uh you can basically touch the little meaty part of your hand under your thumb. And depending right on here. which finger you pinch, to, so you pinch your thumb to, so if you pinch your thumb to your pinky finger oh, well, and you okay. feel that, okay, that's I'm, what well done feels like. Okay. And I don't ever cook well done. I cook medium, rare, or lower. Uh and if you if you don't pinch your thumb at all then it will feel like what rare feels like or what r- raw oh, feels is,
1: like this is interesting i feel so like, I'm learning, like so basically like
0: well done and then third finger to thumb is going to be medium well middle finger to thumb is going to be your medium and then index finger to thumb is going to be your uh, medium rare to rare area. Oh. so well, cool. i'm usually going for index finger to thumb cuz i like a medium rare steak i don't like well cooked meat it's not good in my opinion it is the way to ruin a steak fair but yeah, I'm not tasting that. But if I'm making like a soup or something, I'm tasting that soup while I'm making it because I don't want to get it on the plate and realize, oh, wow, it was not salty at all. I need more salt in there. Or I probably could have thrown more garlic in there. Yeah. So it's just, it's learning how to watch your food as you cook it. And then also not trusting the timers, as you said. Oh, yeah. Because if everyone's I, oven's different.
1: It said 50 minutes, right? My tea was perfectly done at 30 I would have destroyed it if (laughs) I almost doubled the time I put it in there, especially because we're at altitude. So baking stuff and all this, I've got to be like, well, I don't know how being high up affects this, if if at all. So I'm going to pay attention. Don't just...
0: Yeah, exactly. You got to be active when you're cooking. Mm -hmm. Um, So one last note of the pans. I know we have an international audience, so I can't make like a global recommendation of where to get your pans. I did mention that I have an all clad pan and that's like a pretty expensive brand I was able to get it at a huge discount based on some weird stroke of luck and the fact that it was a floor model with some scratches on it, which I didn't care oh, about. Nice. But what I've been told is at Walmart, they sell this this brand of pans. and I think it may come in like a three pack. Uh, it starts with a T. I can't remember the name. I'll try to have it in the show notes. And what I've heard is they are like one third the price of all clad pans and are nearly as good. Oh, cool. Maybe they don't have like the perfect heat distribution, but they are darn good, and they're going to be a lot better than buying some, you know, really thin-bottomed. Well, I mean, cheap you, pan. you don't need the perfect anything because people no, were cooking far before they had really good tools. Exactly. Yeah, you could have you could have a crappy pan. That'd be fine. Yeah. But if you know if you have the money and you're trying to be a discerning buyer and you want to buy quality. You want to have that thick bottom and having a core of aluminum does help to yeah. uh, spread that heat. I think mine like
1: a little under 40 for my one pan. Yeah, the Walmart go. ones might be cheaper. They're probably just as good too.
0: And again, it's the same story with the knives. You don't need a gigantic set of 15 pans and pots and everything. Most nights I use that one four-quart aluminum pan. The reason I got the four-quart one is because I can do a steak in there or I can do a whole like giant thing of spaghetti with sauce in there because it's got sort of tall walls and it makes it heavier. So when I pick it up and shake it, it you know takes some muscle, but it makes it really versatile. Yeah. Um, and you can look up like one pan wonder meals. Just Google one pan wonder and you will find a bunch of different meals that are full courses. You'll have like some carbs, some vegetables, some meat in there. You can do it all in one pan. And if you have a nice taller pan, like a four quart, you can do you know a meal for two people, maybe even three people. Yeah. And one you pan.
1: can use that for smaller meals. You can Oh, having fewer pans and pots is my favorite because those Mm -hmm. giant sets you get, they seem like a good deal, but they're also a great deal if you want your kitchen to be a gigantic mess that is, and then you (laughs) like try to pull out your one pot and you knock three or four over. Exactly. Where do you put them all? And that just makes me not want to do anything because the kitchen's Mm -hmm. a whole mess the whole time and I can't find the right pot.
0: The lid's missing. Who knows? I have a dream. Keeping it simple. One day I will have a kitchen where I can hang my pots and pans up and I'll just have my my favorite ones just hang there. Right by the gas range because I'm gonna have a gas range with flame. But right now I got counter space that's limited. I have no place to hang up pans and I have a glass top stove, so I work with what I got. Yeah, I do what I can with what I got. Pounding out can new do. sounds. I never stop. All right, so we talked about cutting boards, talked about knives, talked about pans and pots. Uh, mixing bowls are very useful. That's probably a decent thing to have because I'm always chopping up vegetables and I need a place to put them. Oh, yeah. Well, so,
1: I, I like the little bowls too because um, in the spirit of mise en place, I uh, I like to like crack my eggs, put them in a bowl, take a lot of the spices I'm going to start with that I might adjust as I go on, put them in one yeah. thing so I could toss it all in at once. And then if it's right, then I don't have to do anything else mm-hmm. and just put everything into their own little bowls so that as I'm cooking, because I don't want anything to burn, I could just be like, there you go. There's a bunch of ingredients. Yeah,
0: exactly. No problem. So do you have any like favorite Tools, because I mean those are the basics right there. Um you can do a lot with just those. I am uh, and some measuring spoons too.
1: I don't think that I use a lot of special things other than okay, so I got my stainless steel thing. I got my pan. I love my pan. And so I've got one silicone high heat resistant spatula. I use that for pushing oh, stuff yep. around. That's a good. But idea. if I was making something I wanted to flip, even just a grilled cheese, I've got a thin metal spatula. And I don't care. It doesn't really matter if you scratch the stainless steel a tiny bit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So So I got the thin metal spatula because if you try to get under something and flip it with the thick silicone thing, you're probably just going to detach it for all that delightful brown stuff that's stuck at the bottom now because Mm -hmm. you've cut it in half. So I love my thin metal spatula for stuff like that. And this is is a thing that I find essential for the foods that I like to cook. And if you do anything similar, you might too. I have a nice tofu press that I got on Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's got two sheets of this plastic and you just kind of screw it. And you screw it tighter and tighter and as the tofu uh loses all the extra water that's inside. Because otherwise the websites are all gonna tell you to like put a plate on it and a towel and then like a bunch of cans or something to weigh it down. And if mm. I if you make tofu with any frequency, that's just really annoying to me. It's not yeah. like a good tool for it. And that's cheap. It's but, just two pieces yeah. of plastic with some screw yeah. tops. Yeah, it's it wasn't expensive. And but for the most part, that's the best part about cooking is you don't need fancy nonsense. Yeah. You just find good ingredients you like. And speaking of ingredients, actually, this is, it's not quite a tool in the literal physical sense, but as I cooked and discovered ingredients and learned what I like and what I don't like, I have a little iCloud note. It's more or less like my food pyramid, even though I think mm. they use a plate now. And But it's like protein. Here's a list of proteins I like. Vegetables. Here's a list of vegetables I like. Fruits, drinks, uh, other things like uh, honey or spices. And this is because if I go, if I have no idea what I want to make and I go to the grocery store and I'm like, I don't know well I need something for dinner. So I just like go through the protein, pick a protein, get a couple of vegetables, look at the carbs I like. And I don't have to re-google all the ingredients over and over to remember that I like falafel. I just yeah. say, oh yeah, falafel's is a thing. I'll just make that. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot quicker.
0: Yeah, that works. In that because yeah, a lot of times you're just like, I don't know what I want to eat and I already had my one thing that I made fifteen yeah. times in a row. I yeah, don't want that. There are so
1: many ingredients that like if you start from scratch trying to think of every food in existence,
0: it's gonna be hard. So a nice starting place would be useful. One thing I've been doing is I have a recipes notebook in Evernote. Oh yeah. So whenever I make a recipe I like, I will put the recipe there because every time I hate having to go and find the website where I found the recipe and then read through the this was a recipe that my grandma made back in Ukraine. it wow, tells so many stories. You know, her family history actually goes back to royalty. And let me give you a story about Aunt Marie Antoinette and something. And then the recipe is like down at the bottom. There's 15 Papa ads that are moving it all over the screen when you're trying to find it. So if I find a recipe I like, I'd take it to Evernote. It's just it's there and it's safe.
1: Yeah. Well, also you can edit it there. So that clafoutis recipe, because I had to alter it, like I made it dairy free, but Mm -hmm. I had to do something special because certain dairy replacements like soy milk or almond milk don't really have fat in them. That's enough to set in the way that they wanted whole fat milk. Mm -hmm. And I've, I don't want to go into too many weird replacements because I know a lot about them. There are too many, but since I altered the recipe in Evernote, I put like on a line next to it in a different color, like this is what I did. And also I did it for 30 minutes. And that made me feel really like a cook because yeah. I made the recipe my own. Mm-hmm. So if you find that their time doesn't work or you hate this spice, replace it with this one, That that's gonna be useful. I love my Evernote notebook for that. Losing a recipe yep. would be so frustrating.
0: Yeah, that'd be really frustrating. Also, the Evernote thing is really helpful because with a lot of recipes, you can go down in the comments and see how people have messed with them. Oh yeah. So a lot of times, like I made uh sopa toscana the other night and I went to the recipe comments and there were a bunch of people saying, I actually doubled the cream and it made it so much better. Mm-hmm. Or I added this, this, and this. So I'll try things like that. And as I do that, I will just edit my uh my Evernote note. And then I eventually come up with like my ultimate recipe for this meal. So that's really nice. So I'm trying to think of specialty quote unquote tools that I really like. And the only one that's really coming to mind for me right now is a box grater I for don't. grating cheese. You, oh, that's why. I, that's cheese. why I don't really know what you're talking about here.
1: You don't use cheese. What's, what makes? What is it? A, literally a physical box. I've only known the like the the long ones sheet. that are like a sheet. Right. Yeah. That's the only one I know. So about. you can What's get one.
0: It's like an oblong box, basically. So like it's like an it's obelisk. Like recti- uh, yeah. But simpler. I, I don't know one. what an obelisk is, but. You need to play more gauntlet Dark Legacy. It's about the size of a Jenga box, but then it widens out at the bottom a little bit. And it's just a lot easier because when you have one of those like sheet graters, you got to try to perfectly hold it over your bowl. And it's just difficult. With the box one, you put it in the bowl, you grate your cheese, or you do it, you just put it right down on the cutting board, you grate your cheese, and your cheese is just falling into the box on
1: the ground. Yep. And then then you do the the cheese. And thing.
0: you don't have to do it just with cheese. You can use it to shred like carrots. So if you want shredded vegetables in a recipe for uh, when I make uh Ukrainian borscht, I will shred the carrots. You know what? That's so a good can idea. So they cook a little faster. If you don't like vegetables, that's
1: a good idea because then they'll get yeah. less texture. Some because people don't I, like the texture of vegetables. I remember that uh, in certain foods, I, I love spinach, but in certain foods, the texture annoys me. Mm-hmm. So if I chop it up real fine, it's just like a spice. Yep. So that's a get a grater, and grate your vegetables. And you're like,
0: oh, there's, I basically don't even notice them. Yeah. That's a good idea. So box grater. um grater. And then I will say like the knife steel and sharpener, you don't got to buy them when you buy the knife. That knife out of the box will perform pretty well for you for a while, but put that on your like get soon list if you don't have them. Yeah. Um, I also started carrying a pocket knife like a while ago because I just have boxes coming in all the time and it's nice to have one on hand. Oh, I should sharpen that. Boom, there you go. Didn't I did think of that. You know, you realize over time, why is this not cutting through this box as well as it used to? Well, it's dull now. Because I cut it through duct tape a whole bunch. <laughs> and you cut and it through the duct tape a whole bunch. Now it's like sticky and dull. <laughs> exactly. So if you have a little sharpener, and I think my sharpener costs like $5 on Amazon, um, you can just, couple, you know, just 10, 10 or so passes through the the setting you want and it's good as new yeah you know, it's just it's maintenance of things I think it's another thing we've lost is we, we've oh, we lost just buy like, a new the new maintenance of things we just buy new stuff
1: once again the companies don't want you to maintain them Nope. capitalism has its benefits but it tries to take so much power out of the hand of the consumer because yep. it benefits from maintaining all the power yep I learn how to maintain stuff want to keep my stuff good it makes me feel if I when I sharpen my knife I'm gonna feel it's like it's, I'm not really making anything, but it's going to feel real DIY. I'm going to well, be like, it's I'm your a knife. Like I'm a good adult now. Yeah. I can handle this. I baby this knife. I treat it how I want. I make
0: it look good. If you just buy a knife and you. And I just throw it away, buy a new one. It doesn't feel it's good. Not, it's your knife kind of, but it's more just like the knife you bought. But if you maintain it and you learn how to use it properly, now it's your well, knife. Well, that's also like cast iron skillets. If yep. you get if you're somewhere where you can
1: use that real efficiently, those can be amazing, and they're so personalized and they'll last longer than you. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, a legitimate heirloom. That's a big deal. That's true. I just and don't want cheap. that while I'm in an apartment.
0: Yeah, when I have my gas range, I will have I will cook on cast yeah. iron, and I'll also cook more with a wok. Yeah, yeah. I use my wok sometimes if I want to do like a big batch of stir fry or fried rice for people, but there's just certain flavors you can't get cooking on a glass top because the flame needs to lick the sides of the wok. And uh, you can't do that because there's no flame. It's just a coil. There is no flame. All right. Let's talk about mise en place. I like some mise en place. I like some French stuff. Mise en en place is. is a lifestyle. So basically mise en place is a French word. And it means essentially having everything set up before you start. It's your setup. It's your cutting board. It's your maybe pre-prepped ingredients, pre-prepped spices maybe. Um, And in the restaurant business, they use this term all the time. Your mise en place is not just the setup when you start, but it's also the whole idea of working clean the whole time. So you're constantly cleaning off your cutting board, you're making sure everything is swept off, you're making sure you're stocked as when you got a down moment, maybe you're chopping some more garlic so you're ready to go for the next uh, you know, the next rush or something. It's all about keeping everything nice and knowing where it is and having it organized. Yeah. This is incredibly important when you're cooking because if you don't do this, you're going to start a recipe and then you're going to have your steak in the pan and realize, oh my gosh, I didn't even chop up any garlic for this. And then you're going to rush over and chop garlic and now your steak's going to overcook. Yeah. And it's the whole messy room, messy mind concept. Well, and then you're like, oh God,
1: I was going to put eggs in here. You crack the eggs, things are burning. And you're like, well, I got to wash my hands. My hands are covered in raw egg now. Yep. I got to wash my hands and then I'll come back. And then you're just you just wasting a whole bunch of steps.
0: Yep. Or your trash can's not there and you're just you're like running across oh, the, the, trash the kitchen trash is throw something Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. So... My idea of mise en place is before I start cooking, I think through the entire recipe and I ask myself what tools and what ingredients do I need for this recipe? And then I'll think, okay, what can I pre-prep or what do I need to pre-prep before I actually start cooking? So if I'm gonna do salmon in the oven, I know I've got 20 minutes while that salmon is cooking for other things. Maybe I will chop my garlic while the salmon is cooking, and got 20 minutes of downtime. But if I'm doing a steak, I wanna be watching that steak the whole time. So I'm not gonna be over dicing vegetables while the steak's in the pan. I'm doing that beforehand. And I wanna make sure I have everything out. So cooking for me always starts with getting out everything I need, having it organized, knowing where it is, getting the trash can, putting it next to my workstation. And that way it's just this smooth process. There's no stress. It's just like zen the whole time. Yeah, you don't wanna be rushed. Exactly, and when you're making a complicated recipe, it's essential. You're
1: already overwhelmed enough. You want to prove to yourself you can do it. Mm-hmm. Now I can't keep track of that many things. Well, you weren't
0: supposed to. You you prepare it first and then you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. My most uh I don't know I don't know the word for it. Enjoyable. I'll use the word enjoyable. My most enjoyable and proud cooking experience recently was it was really it was like simple in terms of the food I was making, but I made salmon in the oven. I made um sautéed asparagus and shallots. I made spaghetti and then garlic bread. I'm dying. So it was four things. And this would have been a complete and utter failure if I had not prepped in advance. But what I did is I created a note in note that number one listed all the ingredients for each course. So it's just a bullet list for salmon, asparagus, for spaghetti, and for garlic bread. Okay. And then I listed out all the gear needed for each course. Oh, you and listed then, the tools you needed? Yep. So it's like salmon. I need a cookie sheet and I need the oven. For spaghetti, I need a big pot for the noodles, I need a stainless steel pan for the sauce, I need a colander to drain the noodles. I would've forgotten the colander if I hadn't thought through this. Um, For asparagus, non-stick pan, and then for the garlic bread, the oven and the cookie sheet. Uh, And then I thought through the timing. This was very important, I'm very glad I did it. So then I went through, okay, salmon, that's 20 to 25 minutes in the oven. Asparagus is about seven or eight minutes. Uh, The spaghetti, I need to get the water to boiling, and then I need to cook the pasta al dente, And then I need to throw it in the sauce. So if I hadn't done this, I probably would have forgotten to get the water to boiling and then totally screwed my timing up. Because I just think, oh, I can start the spaghetti 10 minutes before the salmon's done. Nope, it's going to take the water 10 minutes to boil. Yeah, and then you got like cold salmon and you're trying to... Exactly.
1: So timing is like
0: key with cooking. And the garlic bread takes seven minutes. So, okay, I'm going to set a timer for the salmon minus seven minutes. When that goes off, pop the garlic bread in the oven. And when you have all this in your head, you just execute it. Um, it oh, I, I will actually say another nice kitchen gadget is an iPad or iPhone or something to sit on the counter because then you can see your your note. Oh, your,
1: your stuff? Yeah. Uh, you know what I did? Because I don't like my electronics in the kitchen because I, oh, I'm, right. very, yeah. I'm very, I don't want food touching my stuff for reasons. Anyway. What I did was I printed out the recipe and I just magnet it to the fridge. And I was like, "Well, th- how have I never thought of this? It's so simple. And it just completely mm-hmm. changed how I cook this. Yeah. It was like dumb how simple
0: that solution was. But yeah, it works. Uh, so this is definitely not essential, but we we went to Anna's dad's house for Christmas and they just redid their kitchen. And one thing they added that I loved oh God. is this like really cool pneumatic shelf that is totally hidden on the bottom of one of the cabinets, but then you pull it down and it just reveals this cookbook holder that has a, a flat, clear plastic sheet that you can put over the book so the page doesn't turn itself. Oh, that's cool. And it's just right there. And I was like, that's awesome. That's probably... You, you don't need that, but it no, is you, really it cool. It really cool, but you don't need it. And I, I don't even need it because I don't use cookbooks. Again, I found cookbooks to be kind of overwhelming. So every recipe mm. I've made so far has been me just thinking okay, I want to learn how to make a good steak. And then I just Google around how to make the best steak. And I kind of just form this idea in my head and eventually I'll build an Evernote note out of it to plan my recipe. And the same thing with uh, the salmon and the spaghetti and everything. Yeah. So I had the timing set up and then this was crucial. I thought out the procedure in advance. So I had the mise en place step. The chef's knife needs to be out. The bread knife needs to be out. Cutting board needs to be out. I need the big pot, the pan, the nonstick pan. So everything gets out. And then there's the prep step. I'm gonna preheat the oven. I'm gonna salt and pepper the salmon. I'm gonna add some lemon juice to the salmon and pop that in the oven. And then there's like the actual procedure thing. And everything was in order and I had thought through the timing. And because I had thought through it, when it came time to cook everything, I was just, check it, all right, salt the water, boom. Put the pasta in the water, boom, all right. Now we're gonna add the asparagus. Just down the line. And I think if I had not done this, it would have ended in tears. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> that's because it was a it was a brand new recipe with like four courses. I think if it was a little simpler I wouldn't have had to do this. But it was really fun actually to just think through this process and have to figure it all out. Uh so I enjoyed doing that. And I would highly recommend if anyone's going to do a complicated recipe, plan it out first. It really really helps. Okay. Uh and I, that was all I had actually. Alright. So I mean what else is there anything else do you think we should mention? I think
1: uh the only things that I'd like to mention is one, along with um you were like with the mise en place clearing out stuff as you do. Yeah. But also uh, make sure your kitchen and stuff is all clean at the end of the night because the yeah. thing that kills my cooking the most is when I wake up and I'm like, okay, I'm starving, so I don't want to clean the kitchen, but I can't cook because I didn't clean the kitchen. Yep. So now what do I do? Well, I'm just really hungry, and eventually I give up and buy food. Breaks the breaks the whole thing. But if the kitchen was clean to begin with, mm-hmm. you got to like clear to neutral on that. That way you yep. can just come make food. Uh, and also – this is just a, like a little thing that I thought of to do with eggs that I really like because I don't like having to like worry about raw egg on the counter edge and clean it off. So I take like a little small plate, I crack the egg on the plate, put it into the bowl I'm going to pour go. it in there with. And then I just wash the plate and bowl. Never had to touch the counter. That works. It's just like a little thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, for any recipe where there's downtime, I will be cleaning while there's the, you know, yeah. in between steps Yeah. because I don't, don't like stuff having in a dishwasher and be like, yeah. I don't need this. There you go. I just, I don't like having a super messy kitchen at the end of a meal. So I will just do it while I'm cooking if I can. And then when I'm done, it's like, oh, look, all I got to do is wash the plates. Maybe wipe the counters off. Good to go.
1: Yeah. But it, you're like, definitely right on that. Like as long as the kitchen is dirty, I will just be so hungry that I'll be like, I don't have time to clean the whole, mm-hmm. what have I done to myself? So that, that's the biggest thing is just yeah. making sure it's clean to begin with. So
0: you can start. Hmm. Um, places for people to start. So I mean like making a steak is great and everything, but one thing I have learned is big hearty soups, like borscht, like zopa tuscana, which is zopa tuscana, like Tuscan. Um, Let's see here, chili, stuff like that. You can make a huge batch and then that will give you lunches for a few days. So one thing I've learned is I'm into cooking, but I'm into cooking at night, not in the morning, and okay. if I do eat lunch, I think a lot of times we skip lunch. Mm. But if I do eat lunch, I'm not cooking it. I'm working, so I will either go out for lunch and spend money, or if I have leftovers from the night before, I'm going to eat that. So a lot of times we try to cook in bulk.
1: So and don't go overboard and think I need to cook three meals every day immediately. Yeah, don't think that I learning only to cook cooking from now means on. that
0: you cook every single meal. No, you can learn how to batch cook. You can do um, a slow cooker, like a crock pot. Yeah. Um, well, that stuff's also yeah. pretty hard. It's pretty hard to mess up like a, a good chili. You
1: know, you just it's really difficult. You just like to mess cut, up. you cut the onions at whatever speed. There's no rush because the food
0: ain't gonna be done for hours anyway.
1: Yeah. And, then and I just, will
0: say it's pretty easy uh, for anybody worried about timing. Slow, like low, uh, low temperature simmering pot recipes. You can flub the timing. Like if the chili's in the slow cooker for seven hours instead of six. It's probably not a big deal. Once it hits 6.01, it all burns. <laughs> it all just, it bursts into flames. It's nothing like
1: Overcooked, which is a fantastic game, but it's nothing like that. No,
0: that game is amazing. Yeah. And sometimes when I'm doing a complicated recipe, it does kind of feel like that a little bit, but luckily there's no customers to get mad. It's just myself. No rats taking the onions. No rats taking onions. I have no rats in my kitchen, luckily. Just a cat sometimes. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, yeah. Um, Book cook. Another thing we do is on Sunday is Anna and I will do an egg bake, which is really easy. We just literally get out the casserole dish and put some spinach in there. And I like to saute up some onions and, and garlic and mushrooms. Put that down, pour like a dozen eggs that are whisked up over it. And then I'll put in some sour cream and cheese, throw it in the oven for a while. And out comes this casserole that you can eat for breakfast for the whole week. Yeah. Hey,
1: breakfast. You could could potentially with that and just a big soup, maybe you just bulk cooked breakfast and lunch and now you just cook dinner. Yep. Which is when you're most likely to have the time after work and class and stuff. Exactly,
0: yeah. And if you cook bulk enough, then you could cook like one or two nights a week and then have leftovers two or three nights a week. And then if you want to still go out to eat, you can, but now you don't feel like you have to every night. And now you don't feel guilty for doing it. That's the biggest thing. This is the other thing that cooking has done in the past, it was it was often the case that we'd come home and Anna and I were feeling lazy. So we'd go out to eat as like the last resort. Just, I just don't want to cook. We're just going to go out. But now, because I normally cook, going out to eat is a treat. Yeah. We plan it. And because we're saving a lot of money on cooking, I don't feel so guilty about going out to a nicer restaurant. That's like one rule I've
1: tried to maintain. Uh, like
0: to, to maintain a
1: good food budget and just to make sure I'm cooking and being healthy is just like... We should never go to a restaurant because we accidentally were hungry and had nothing. It should always be like, I want to go to that restaurant. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. It should never be
0: like the default. Yeah. Um, I guess one little final tip I would say here is for the person listening to this that is getting all super gung-ho and really excited, uh, number one, grab on to that feeling and run with it because that's what makes life exciting. But also maybe think about having a couple of real easy, quick recipes in your back pocket. Like make the stir fry I talked about at the beginning of this episode because there's going to come some nights where you're into cooking, right? You're the kind of person who likes to cook, but tonight's just not a good night and you have no leftovers in the fridge and you got to make something. If you know how to whip up some scrambled eggs that taste good, if you know how to make a stir fry real quick, you're good to go. But if all you've been working on and your your manic cooking phase, is all these super complicated recipes? Then what's going to happen is you're going to burn out. You didn't put anything in your back pocket that was easy, and now you're back to microwave mayonnaise tortillas, and you've just decided that it was oh, too much of was, a pain in
1: the butt. It tasted so good, but in a really gross way.
0: Yeah, oh. I don't want to eat a microwave mayonnaise tortilla.
1: <laughs> there was chicken and chili powder in there. It's
0: mm-hmm. fancy. Okay, that does make it a little fancy. I put a spice okay. in there. Maybe I could go for it then. <laughs> but yeah, you know, go for your complicated recipes, but also keep a couple of those simple ones in your back pocket. Okay, so we talked about a couple of resources in this episode. Um, I wanna sort of recap those and also add in a couple of more. Number one, in the show notes somewhere, hopefully we'll find that website where you can put in the ingredients you have and then it will We're suggest- We're gonna find it because
1: I want to find it.
0: Yeah, I wanna find it. I don't remember the name. If it's not in the show notes, I'm sorry. Maybe I made it up, but I'm pretty sure I didn't make it up. I'm pretty sure it's real. No, I used something like that when I was yeah. vegetarian. I remember this. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, there's the book, The Science of Cooking by Dr. Stuart Faramond. I'm really enjoying this book, so I'm just going to plug it again. Uh, the YouTube channel, Alex French Guy Cooking, is fantastic. I love his channel. Um, and also, honestly, Gordon Ramsay and Jamie Oliver both have really good YouTube channels. Gordon Ramsay's has turned sort of into like a. A dumping ground for clips from his tv shows where he Hmm. just like yells at hotel owners but some of the older videos maybe that's how you do it yeah um but he has some older videos that are really good and i learned recently how to make an amazing christmas day breakfast that was just it was lightly toasted croissant with smoked salmon and then scrambled eggs made the right way on top so
1: good! Oh, we gotta end this before I die. It was so good. it sounds so good.
0: And he had, he teaches you the technique of how to make scrambled eggs properly because every every time I have made scrambled eggs in the past, they've been like dry and kind of rubbery and not that great. And uh, turns out if you keep like you keep working them the whole time and you take them on you put them on the heat and you take them off and you kind of move back and forth and you get that, that rich creamy consistency that you can mm. get at restaurants sometimes. Yeah. Throw some chives in there. Oh, it was so good. So we'll link to some of that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's probably a decent, a decent number of resources. I think episode 103 was also a a food related episode. Was that the one where we talked about like finding good budget cooking and stuff? We definitely didn't know as much back then, but there's probably some decent stuff in there. I'm so hungry. (laughs) And Andrew and I also did a, a cooking episode recently on Listen Money Matters because when I get into something... I shoehorn it into all my podcasts if I can. <laughs> There's a sense of frugality when you're cooking food yourself. Exactly. That was my excuse.
1: I was like, Andrew, people can save money if they learn how to cook. Even Whole Foods isn't that expensive as long as you're not buying hipster snacks and drinks. The, the mm-hmm. like $8 drinks are where all your money's going. You can buy like
0: produce and grains and beans yeah. and it's like fine. Yeah. But if you're on a hardcore budget, that episode we did will probably be helpful. Yeah. Because it links to some stuff that's like really budget level. At this point, we're like, we're to the point where we don't have to eat rice and beans for every meal. We just want to make sure we're not, you know, buying stupid things all the time. Yeah. So yeah, uh, this is what, episode 192, right? Sounds about right. I think so. So show notes for this episode, including all of those resources that we mentioned are over at CIGpodcast.com slash 192. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, just click that link in the description down below and you will find all that good stuff You can also rate and review this podcast on iTunes if you want to help support it. That definitely helps us out. And I think that is all we got. So until next week's episode, stay cute.